So we're in Hebrews. Go back to Hebrews chapter 12. We probably got maybe three weeks left in Hebrews and we'll be done. And then we're moving to Noah and we'll get into some, some crazy stuff with Noah. So be prepared for that one. Bring your seatbelt. You know, the whole book of Hebrews, he's been going through and he's been talking and, and he's been arguing of who Jesus is. That's been our theme. And he's argued it and argued it, or she, I, I believe it's uh, Apollos, but whoever wrote Hebrews, and arguing and arguing and arguing and arguing of who Jesus is, and that we don't need to go back to the temple, we don't need to go back to sacrifices, you don't need to go back to works, because works could never save you. The law could never save you, it could only condemn you. And grace is how people are saved now, but it's also how people were saved then. And he's argued this all the way through the book, now he's saying, now that we've made this point, and then he shows this hall of faith and all these people that have taken the faith given to them by God and used it for his glory, he's saying, now, go and do it. It's the charge at the end of the book here. It's the charge to go do it. So, last week we talked about that, this charge to press forward. And this week, we're going to pick up on the heels of that in chapter 12 and look at um, the discipline to keep pressing forward. And I'm not talking about disciplining your bodies like Paul did. I'm talking about God disciplining, which is another story. So I was reading this interesting little blog this week. The title of the blog was God is law and wrath in the Old Testament and God is love and grace in the New Testament. And you can figure what I probably thought about that. So uh, I couldn't possibly disagree more with the person whatsoever. Because, you're, you're, first of all, you're saying that God is schizophrenic. He's not the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's one person in the Old Testament and he's somebody else in the New Testament. Plus, it sure is convenient of you to say that since you're in the New Testament. You know what I'm saying? I got the grace and love. Sucks to be you guys back in the Old Testament that got all the wrath and, and vengeance and hatred. Oh, God loved, loved, loved people in the Old Testament. God loved Abraham so much he pulled him out of a land full of idols under, under a father who was an idol maker and brought him and gave him a great inheritance. Why? Because he chose to. God is amazingly full of love throughout the whole Bible, but he's also full of wrath throughout the whole Bible. Does the book of Revelation sound like a sweet love story? It's in the New Testament. Heads up. You know what I'm saying? So there, there is... There is a sense of God's law and wrath and love and grace in the whole book. That's the coolest thing about our God and about the cross, really, to me. Is the cross is where all that comes together. Where absolute wrath and justice and divine love and grace all meet in the same place. No other, no other place, no other faith, no other uh, practice can claim that. So... What's the difference, though, between wrath and discipline? That's where we're heading. I'm not talking about self-discipline. That may be part of it, but that's not what I'm talking about today. That's a good way to look at it. Discipline is something you can learn from. Wrath, you may not feel that way. Judge and a father. Boy, that's great. Okay, we'll stop with that. That sums it up. Judge. One is a judge. One is a father. And that's a good way to look at it. You know, I remember when I used to play football 
um, years ago. Uh, I was on a, a junior high team in Dallas, and I was on the defensive side of the ball. I played both sides of the ball, but I loved the defense. I was more on the defensive side. And my coach, my de- I was a linebacker, and my defensive coach, his name was Kimbrough. I don't even know what his first name was because you never know the name of your, your first name of your coach. You just coach Kimbrough, right? And Coach Kimbrough called us, the linebackers, he called us Kimbrough's killers, which I thought was awesome. And... Uh, that man punished us. I am talking about punished us. If a ball, if a runner with the ball got past you, you're going to drag a tire around the field for hours and hours and hours. If you had a chance to intercept a ball and missed it, you're going to carry a ball with you throughout the whole day, through the whole school day. And if somebody tries to knock it out of your hand and successfully does, you're going to carry it the next day. And the whole team's encouraged to knock it out of your hand. I mean, he was brutal. But listen, we were undefeated. And I loved that coach. We all loved that coach. Loved him. Because we knew he loved us. The goal was being undefeated. Discipline was required to accomplish that goal. He disciplined us in a way that helped us accomplish that goal. And as a result, we both we, we loved each other. You know what I'm saying? It, it was awesome. I also remember um, some years ago, I, I, you know, I love Oriental culture, and I studied Kung Fu for years. And I remember uh, when Molly and I got married, we got into a, a class together. I'd been studying it for a little while before I met her, but then we got into a, a dojo together. And this uh, guy's name's Master Lupo. He has, he's teaching this class, and he's teaching us all these Moves, you know, Kung Fu is a system of like Tai Chi and things, all, all these kind of things. So we're learning this strategy, let's call it, to fight, okay? And he gets a phone call or something. And so he's getting ready to go answer the phone. There's like 10 of us in the class. And he looks at me and he says, David, come up here. And he said, just repeat the first half. Y'all go through the first half of this uh, fight progression. Y'all just keep repeating it. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we do. Well, he's on the phone for Ever. So we go through this thing like, I don't know, five times, six times, seven times. And the guys are bored. And I'm bored. And so I said, well, let, let's just go on. Let's just finish through it. Because we we're doing the first half. Let's just do the rest. You guys know it. Let's practice through the whole thing anyway. So we practice through the whole thing. Well, he comes back and he says, cool, man. Y'all got the whole thing. That's awesome. He said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. He says, I want you to get in a horse stance. I don't know if you're on what that is, but you're spreading your feet apart and you squat like this. Now, if, I'm not going to make you do it, but my legs are already getting tired. If you stand up and you do that, it, it, it takes all the muscles in the top of your legs to hold your body up. So he says, cool, let's get in there. And we get there and we're just standing there and standing there and standing there. And we're all starting to shake and I'm starting to shake. And he's like, I, I, I asked you not to go on. And you, I, I gave you what to do, but y'all want to do it all. So I tell you what, we're going to stand here for a while. I was about to die. And I felt terrible because I know everybody else is suffering too, and it's my fault. So I promise you, I never did that again, you know, ever. So, and, and I never forgot that. So, but, but that man loved me. And to this day, we still talk periodically online and still communicate. He's a police officer. Now he still does the stuff, but he's a police officer. So these guys, though, my point is this. These guys, though, were not even related to me by blood. How much more so would you expect a father to be there? 
in terms of discipline. Look at uh, Hebrews 12. Look at verse, uh, well, let's start in 5 because we got through 1 through 4 last week. The author of Hebrews says, and have you forgotten? He says, and, so he's building on the first case. He says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? So let's look at who he's talking to. He's talking to people who are believers because he's saying, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And he's saying that, have you forgotten who you are? That's what he's asking. Remember the whole argument. Don't turn back to Judaism. Have you forgotten who you are? That's what he says. My son, do not regard lightly. He's quoting, quoting uh, Psalm, uh, Proverbs 3 here. We'll look at it in a second. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Context, listen to this. Y'all all know this. Uh, Logan actually preached on it in prison last Tuesday. The context is Proverbs 3. And this is, you, listen, you know this. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Y'all have probably all heard that. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll make straight your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And then he goes on to say, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. So when he's talking about that discipline, it's in the context of don't lean on your own understanding. In other words, sometimes you may not be able to figure this thing out, but God might be doing something. It's not always hateful. It's not always wrath. You know, look at Hebrews twelve seven. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Obviously, we can say sons and daughters. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Second uh, Corinthians, just make a note, 12, 7, Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. You've all heard people talk about this. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, and then I quit. I pleaded for it to go away for three times, and then I stopped crying about it and said, okay, this is going to be the way it is. Now, we're not going to fight about what the thorn in the flesh is. All I'm saying is that whatever it was, it came from God. It was given from God to help Paul not become conceited. That would be discipline. God is disciplining Paul. That's not saying, Paul, you screwed up big time, and because of it, you're going to pay the penalty. That might, that's discipline, too. But I'm just saying there's another kind of discipline that's going on here, too, where, where God is giving a tool to somebody, like Kim, like Kimbrough's Killers I was talking about, where he's given us tools that are disciplining us to be better at what we do and to prevent us from running off and thinking, hey, we got this all figured out. Hebrews 12:8. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Okay, let's unpack that one. That one's heavy. He says, if you're left without discipline, in which all have participated. What is that? What What's what he telling you there? First of all, he's saying all those who belong to him have participated in discipline. You may not know this, but if he loves you, he disciplines you. Therefore, if you belong to him, if you are presently sitting in this room as a son or a daughter of God, 
you can look back on your life somewhere. Maybe you've never done it before. Start now. You can look back on your life somewhere and probably see where God has disciplined you in some way. Maybe doing it now. I don't know. He's definitely done it with me a few times, I promise. I've been given some things, and I've also been taken behind the woodshed quite a few times. So, so he does discipline. You can look back and see this. So it says he disciplines all who all have participated in discipline. So what else does that tell you about us as Christians? If we as Christians have all participated in being disciplined by God, what does that tell you about us? We'd still sin. All his children sin. Swallow that pill, will you please? Uh, I'm not saying it's, I'm not excusing your sin. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just trying to tell you, we all say we're not perfect. You know what? I'm not perfect. I'm just saved. But then we turn around and wonder, are we really saved because we're not perfect? Am I wrong? You know what I'm saying? We all say, you know what? Uh, I could never lose my salvation. But as soon as you get caught in some kind of sin, you think, golly, I could never do this if I was really saved. Can I really be saved? If God disciplines his children, then obviously you're requiring discipline. Therefore... You're not perfect. Salvation doesn't make you perfect. Listen, salvation makes you a son or a daughter. That's what it does. Ultimately, you will be perfect. We'll get to that in a second. But what it makes you now is a part of the family. You're not a part of the family. You are an illegitimate child until he comes into your life. Otherwise, listen, you know, what would you be hearing? A son or a daughter gets disciplined. You know what? If you're not a son or a daughter, you know what you get? Depart from me, I never knew you. That's what you get. That would be an illegitimate child. Jesus gives a the best... I, I started thinking about commentaries on this passage, and I was like, you know what? I don't even need to look them up, because Jesus is the best commentary, period, on this idea. Go to John 8, and I'm going to show it to you. Jesus preached on this to the religious leaders that would have fully comprehended it. Matter of fact, this is probably the most... We always give Jesus credit for when he goes in the temple and whips and turns over the tables. That's got nothing on this one. This one, to me, is the one where I'm like, wow, Jesus, boy, son. John 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. Look who he's addressing. He's addressing those who believe in him. The Jews specifically who believe in him. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you'll know the truth. And look what what does the truth do? Say you free. What do you need to be free from? Yeah, sin. Slavery of sin. Watch verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus said, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains in the house forever. So if you're going to stay in the house of the Lord forever, you're going to have to be in the family. Verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yeah, you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. Look at this. This is weird. Didn't he just say they believed him? They don't have their faith in him. 
They just hear in his words and believe in what he says. Yeah, we hear you, man. We believe you believe that, Jesus. We believe you mean it, Jesus. We believe you're, you, we believe you're a great prophet telling the truth, Jesus. But now he says something very strong. He says, verse 38, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. What father? Skip down to verse thirty or no verse thirty-nine. Keep in mind the discussion is slaves and sons, slaves and sons. Verse thirty-nine. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works of your father did. And they said to him. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, and that's God. And Jesus said to them, If, listen, if God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I'm here. I come not of my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Rhetorical question. Because He answers it. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. Whoa, 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 whoa. You are of your father, what? The devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Man, can you just picture him saying that to these Jewish people? Whoo, goodness. Verse verse 46, he says, or verse 47, he says, Whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is you are not of God. That would be, my friends, illegitimate children, like Hebrews is referring to. You claim to be part, to believe Jesus. You claim to be part of the family, but you are not. You are not. Because if you were, you'd be disciplined. God would be disciplining you as a daughter, a son, would be, and you would be hearing his word. You'd be hearing it. I'm not saying you understand everything. I'm not saying you can write commentaries. I mean, this stuff is difficult, but you'd be excited to learn it. You, you want to hear it. You want to know it. Look at verse, go back to Hebrews 12. Look at verse 9. We'll come back to the illegitimate thing here in just a second. Verse 9 says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of uh, uh, to the father of spirits and live? Better translation: the father of our spirits and live. That's kind of what it's implying. Um, our earthly fathers versus our spiritual father. But look what it says: we respected our earthly fathers. What does it say we ought to do to our heavenly father? What's the verb there? To be to to, to be subject. What does that mean? Huh? Submit, man, that's it. Yield. So if you feel you're under the discipline of God, don't fight. Just yield to it, man, and say, this is awesome. I know that's easy to say, but yield to his authority, you know. Some of you have children, some of you don't. I got a 17-year-old, and I understand what this means. Don't do it. Don't do Don't put, don't. Don't, don't. The last thing on their brain is yielding to what I'm saying. And my daughter's pretty good. I'm not trying to brag because she's my kid, but she really is. But I was terrible. 
If my mom locked me in my room, I found a window. You know what I mean? I, I, I was terrible in terms of that. The harder you squeeze, the more I wanted out. And, and it, that's what he's sitting here saying. He's saying that we should be respecting our parents even a little bit. But in his case, we should literally subject ourselves to his word, to his authority. We should yield to it. Verse 10, he says, For they disciplined us, the heaven, the, our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. In other words, they did what they thought was best in terms of guiding and disciplining us. But he disciplines us, what? For our good. For our good that we may share his holiness. Whoa, that's some heavy talk. He disciplines us for our good. In other words, every time he does it, it's for our good. You can know that for a fact. You may feel like your parents were wrong sometimes, but God has never been and will never be. Every time he disciplines you, it is for your good. It's an opportunity for you to grow. It's an opportunity for something amazing to happen to you. What? I'll tell you what. You get closer to sharing in his holiness. Can you even wrap your brain around what that means? Do you realize you can't stand before a holy God? That's what sanctification is. It's the process of being purified over time and and the impurities working out and you become more like Christ. We'll talk about that in a second. But he says that we get to share in his holiness. He says he does all these things for our good. I'm going to show you one great passage on this. Go hold your finger there, but go over to Revelation 3 real quick. He's writing these letters. God is sending these letters to the churches. And this one's one that's very familiar, but I want you to see something in this. He disciplines us for our good. You've, you've probably all heard this. Revelation 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And that's a title right there. <laughs> Translation, the words of Jesus. Okay, but that's a heck of a title. You ever want to know? There's a heck of a title of Jesus. Verse 15. I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So, because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Does that mean they're lost? That's what I've always heard. This is not about being lost. They're his church. He died for her cannot be talking about, I am rejecting you. So what's he talking about? Well, keep reading. Verse 17. For you say, I'm rich and I've prospered and I need nothing. He's talking about a church that's very wealthy and not relying on him anymore. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Golly, that's a powerful sentence. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments so that you're clothed. So that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. So when he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, he's talking about discipline. He's talking about discipline. Why? Because he loves them. And he's disciplining them so that they will repent. And realize they need him. So when that church that has it all, and I'm not beating ours up, but we have a lot. When that church that has it all gets stripped of everything they had, before you blame it on the devil, or before you think God's judging me, he might be doing you a huge favor. 
Might be doing you. Ask Robbie how he sees Hurricane Katrina sometime. Took everything he had. Now he sees that as a huge blessing in his life. He does. I've been down similar roads. Not Hurricane Katrina, but I've been stripped of a lot of things in my life that I can now say, man, thank God you did that. That's the kind of idea. All right? Sharing is holiness. You know, when he talks about that, that's a heavy sentence. Uh, you don't have to go there. Just make a note. He says, 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, And because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that no one can boast. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, when you have the Holy Spirit within you, you begin to share in his holiness. Think about that. Christ is in you. That's powerful, man. Second uh, Corinthians 3.18. You don't have to go there, but you ought to all have this marked somewhere. Memorize it. It says, And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree to another. That is sanctification. And it says this comes from the Lord who is a spirit. So it's saying that you are being transformed into the same image. What image? Y'all all going to look like me? I hope not. Huh? Image of Christ. We're all being transformed into the image of Christ. You're being worked and purified and being moved so that the more and more and more you go through your life, the more and more and more you look like Christ. And if you belong to him, he's disciplining you so that happens. And he does it. It says here very well, that for this comes from the Lord. So Hebrews twelve eleven. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I like that. Logan and I were talking about this last night. At the moment, it seems, get that word, it seems painful. You understand what that means? That means it shouldn't be. You got that? Let that sink in your brain for just a minute. Go read Radical. It'll help. Okay? It means it shouldn't be painful. But it seems painful. It's painful because God is removing something that doesn't need to be there. Or correcting something that shouldn't be going on. And it seems painful at the time. But it shouldn't be painful. It, it doesn't say, for, at the, for the moment, all discipline is painful. It says, seems painful. It's painful because you're fighting to let it go. It's painful because you don't want to get it. You don't want to lose it. You don't want to deal with it. And it says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I'll spit you out of my mouth, like he said. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That word trained is kind of the Greek language of being exercised, like somebody who is training you, like a coach for instance, or somebody who's really trained. If you have been trained by it, by that discipline, it yields the fruit of righteousness, it says. It yields this great peace. It's an amazing gift. Now, some people, like me, don't get trained by it real quick. So I sit there and roll around in it, mad at the world, mad at God. I don't understand. I don't get it. I'm frustrated. Why don't you help me get see this? Why are you picking on me? You know, all these kind of things. Rather than just being trained by it and seeing that as a great blessing, man, this is a great opportunity. Nothing else, God's focused on me, you know, in some way. Um, 
Let me give you another one. Go to 1 Corinthians 5. I want to show you this one. We talked about the revelation where he disciplines the church. Watch this one. This one ought to give you hope if you're a person who feels like every time you sin, you're out. Because this one's about as bad as it gets. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 3, Paul says, For though I, Paul, for though I am absent in the body, I am present in spirit with the church. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Okay, that's what's happening. In the church and sleeping with his father's wife. And Paul cannot believe that the church is not dealing with this. And so he says in verse 4, When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, you are to deliver this man to Satan. Does that mean this man is lost? Is that what Paul is saying? Maybe, but that's not what he's saying. Because look what he does say. For the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved. As long as you keep saying it's okay, he's going to keep living in the flesh and destroying his spirit. And he said, put, put him out. He, he want to walk the way that, the, that Satan does? Give him to Satan and let him do it. So that the flesh will get destroyed in the process and he will realize his spirit. This is why you hear people like me, I'll tell you the same others do too. You're dealing with somebody that's in drug addiction on some kind of high level. Uh, you cut them off, man. Cut them off. I don't care if they're family or not. And that's coming from somebody who was one. Because it requires that. Amberlin had this song. Um, I, I love it. I, on their last CD, the chorus they really basically just says you're not a slave so get off your knees that's a good statement you know that's kind of what we're talking about in hebrews here you're you're a son you're a daughter you're not a slave so get off your knees in other words act like a son act like a daughter go back to hebrews 12 12 hebrews 12 12 go kind of bumping back into this discussion um, of the trained athletes and the, being trained by it. He says, verse 12, he says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. What he's saying is, you've been running this race, and now you're tired, and your knees don't want to work, and you're dragging your arms. He's like, listen, God's doing this for you. So pick up your lazy arms, get your knees working again. In other words, get off your behind and quit crying. You know what I'm saying? Get up. Quit stinking crying. This is for you. Whatever it is you're going through is for you. So get up off your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. In other words, walk it off. You know what I mean? The modern day translation. Walk it off, man. I like this dude. That's why I think he knows Paul. Paul is this way. Quit your whining. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What does he mean by that, you think? Strive for peace with everyone, that's fairly obvious. But what do you think he means by strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord? Ephesians 1, 4 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world... 
that we should be holy and blameless before Him. So He's telling you to, to strive for this holiness. Why? To be separated from the world, yes. That's what holiness means. But He's telling us to strive for it because without it, no one will see the Lord. What does He mean by that? Now, first reading, I'll go on and tell you, I thought that meant that you can't see the Lord unless you're holy. But that's not true. Because you'd never see the Lord. Because He's the one that creates the act that makes you holy. So that, that can't be the case. So what does He mean? Give her the cookie. That's what I'm talking about right there. We are, we are Christ to the nations. What did He say? You will be my witnesses. You will be me to the ends of the earth. So, when he says, strive for the holiness without which no one would see Jesus, let me ask you something. If you spent all afternoon, Amy, if you spent all afternoon getting sloshed at CB Chattanooga Billiard Club, and then came home and ran your car into the mailbox and passed out, um, how many people are going, boy, she, there's just something different about her. Man, she just loves Jesus. I mean, who in the world is going to think that? You know what I'm saying? Nobody. He's saying, strive for the holiness with, without which, no one will see the Lord. So if they're going to see the Lord, you have to be set apart. You have to strive to remain set apart. So there's a danger in this idea that we rush into bars and we rush into all these places. And I used to be one of these guys. But that we rush into all these places to present the gospel and to preach. Because if we don't live set apart in some way, nobody's going to see us, see the gospel. You may think they will, but you're kidding yourself. I'm just telling you. And don't you know that Jesus modeled this? Jesus said, I, everything I do, I glorify the Father. Well, Jesus and the Father are one. And the Father says he glorifies the Son. See the little loop there? You know what I mean? And Jesus modeled that for us, that he glorifies the Father. Look at verse 15. Almost done. And we're going to end with a bang. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it may become defiled. Now, this is tough. I wrestled with this for a long time. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. John MacArthur said, The truth truth that is known, but, listen now, truth that is known, but not obeyed, becomes a judgment rather than a benefit. Did you get that? Truth that is known and not obeyed becomes a judgment rather than a benefit. That's a powerful statement. That's kind of where he's going. This whole, that fails to obtain, what that literally means is, you arrive late to the party, and you didn't get in. That's what, it's, that's what it's kind of implying. See to it that no one, let's put it in that way, see to it that no one is late and doesn't get in. Now, can anybody in this room save anybody else spiritually? Absolutely not. If you think you can, we need to sound talk because you are dead wrong. You couldn't save yourself. How can you save somebody else? You have no ability to do so. You are the light by which they will see the holiness of the Lord. But you can't save anybody. So this is not talking about, oh my gosh, if somebody dies without the Lord, then it's your fault. It's not what they're saying. That's just saying, be sure that you don't just let people wander off, go away, and miss out. Be, invite people. Let people be a part of it. See to it that you do your best to treat everybody as somebody Christ died for. Does that make sense? 
these intellectual Jews, man, that, that the author of Hebrews is dealing with, they're fascinated with Jesus and the gospel. But they want to go back to the law. They want to go back to the temple. They, they don't want grace. They want grace plus. I mean, they think Jesus is amazing. They're fat, totally fascinated with him. <coughs> they heard the gospel, man. They think the gospel is great. They just want the law. So let me ask you something. You think God takes this kind of thing seriously. Let me show you this and put it on your seatbelt, all right? Go to Deuteronomy 29. And I, I know I'm out of time, so I want to finish, though. Deuteronomy 29. It says in verse 18, and, and I mean, this one's heavy. And, and don't write off, well, the Old Testament was blah, but the New Testament is blah. Let's not do that. Let's treat God as who He is. Okay? Verse 29, or chapter 29, verse 18. Beware lest there be any among you, a man or a woman or clan or tribe, whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of other nations. Beware lest there be any among you, a root bearing poisonous or bitter fruit. This is kind of that. See, see back in Hebrews 12, he, he said a root of bitterness. He's almost pointing at this. A root bearing poisonous or bitter, bitter fruit. One who... When he hears the words of this sworn covenant, now he's talking about the, the Mosaic covenant, but we can say the same of the new covenant, blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. In other words, I'm going to do it my way, but I'll be all right. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. What he's saying is he's going to drag other people down. The strong and even the ones that, are, I mean, even the one, the ones that aren't strong and even the ones that are. Verse 20, he says, the Lord will not, will not be willing to forgive him. Guys, I don't know how else to translate it. But rather the wrath, here it is, anger, wrath of the Lord, and his jealousy will smoke against that man, and the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. That is a wicked, heavy statement. Does that mean you can lose your salvation? Absolutely not. What the person in Hebrews is saying is, this person is not a son. This is an illegitimate son that you are letting into the mix and you are allowing them to spread bitterness and other things and is causing people to be distracted and pulled down and moved away. That's what he's saying. Because a son cannot be blotted out of anything. How do I know that? Two ways I know that a son can't be blotted out of any books, whatever you want to call it. One way I know is because it says your name was written there before the foundation of the world. Plain and blunt, two times in the New Testament, it was written there before the foundation of the world. There's no reason he's going to write it there before the world itself was created and randomly decide along the way, oh, my mistake. No. Not going to happen. And two, if you're a son... You are being disciplined because he disciplines the sons that he and daughters that he loves. He says that. Go back to Hebrews 12 real quick. C- continuing down the same path. Remember, we're arguing over sons. Are you legitimate? Are you illegitimate? Verse 16. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sought his birthright for a single meal. For you know that... Now, this is the... Boy, this one's heavy. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, and he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Okay. As we unpack this real fast, 
why is he bringing Esau up at this moment? You know, he's talking about this illegitimate son thing. And, and, he's, and this is the only time this word is used, this illegitimate word. This is the only time it's used in the New Testament, this one place. And you have to kind of go outside the Bible and look at Greek literature to understand what it means. And it's talking about someone who was born to a slave or to a concubine. So think of somebody else in Scripture who was born to a slave. Ishmael, right. Same scenario. Isaac's the son of promise. Ishmael is not. Isaac has a child. What are their names? Jacob and Esau. Jacob is the child of promise. Esau is not. And that was decided before they were born. Go read the story. It was decided before they were born. Go read Romans 9. Paul writes a great commentary on it. It was decided before they were born. So, he's probably building along that same line. But one is a son of promise and one is not. But if you go back and read the story, don't go, we don't have time. But in Genesis 25, when it's talking about verses 29 through about 35 or so, when it's talking about Jacob and Jacob selling, or Esau selling his birthright to Jacob, literally does it over a bowl of stew. And, and in, in the end of that little story, it says, thus Esau despised his birthright. It means that that thing meant nothing to him. Nothing to him. That, that means, yeah, I know all about what a birthright is, but I just don't really care. It's not really that big a deal. Who cares? That's the kind of person the people, the author of Hebrews is talking about. That's the kind of person. The person who sees the gospel, the person who sees Jesus and says, yeah, I know what all that is. I got all that, but that's all right, man. I can do this. I can do this. I, I need to get over to the temple. I need to go get busy doing some works. I need to do some things right. Those are illegitimate sons, in lack of a better phrase. You know, Esau is, is just an, a great example of it. He understood it. It didn't mean anything to him. But to him, it was not, nothing more than just a meal. It was worth nothing more than that. And then it says that weird phrase, that though he had the chance to repent, or he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Um, basically what it's saying is, as a result of his rejection of it, of this blessing, it was removed from him. Now, that might be heavy, but I'm just telling you, this is not new. It's a thread throughout the Scripture. It doesn't say that he wanted to repent. It says he wanted the blessing. Get the, get the it that we're talking about here. I had to go look at this pretty good. He sought it. He's not wanting to repent. He's wanting the blessing. What do we call that? What's the other R word? Same word, I believe, applies to Judas when he went and hung himself. Was that repent? Yeah, regret. It's not repentance. It's regret. Things didn't work out the way I wanted them to, and here I sit now. I wish I'd done things different. That's not repentance. Repentance is, dear God, I have sinned against you. Forgive me. Have mercy on me. That's repentance. It says that even had that opportunity come along, even he, he would have had no opportunity to repent. Listen to what this means now. Listen, I'm not trying to get too crazy, but you've got to hear it. Where does repentance come from? How do you get it in your heart to repent? We talked about this before. Make a note. Acts, don't go. We're out of time. Acts 11:18, talking about the Gentiles. And it says, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. 
2 Timothy 2.25, we've already talked about this. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. If you repent, my friends, it's because God has opened your eyes and granted you repentance. That's blunt, as blunt as can be in Scripture. As blunt as can be. So what's happened is Esau, because he's despised his birthright, it is not granted to him to repent anymore. Now, I know that's heavy. Y'all can go wrestle with Paul on it, okay? Read through Romans and wrestle with Paul on it. But that's what's being told to us here. And it's really heavy. You can go back and read Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10. We've already been through this. So here's what you're walking out of here with. If you're a son, listen, if you're a son or a daughter, live like it. You know what I'm saying? If you're a son or a daughter, live like it. And listen, listen, please, this is the best one. If you're being disciplined by God right now, If God's trying to discipline you to do something or to give something up or to quit going one way or to quit whining about this or to quit being frustrated about that, if He's trying to discipline you on something, first of all, embrace it. Quit seeing it as something that's miserable. Embrace it. And second of all, learn it. Whatever it is He's trying to get you to to learn, learn it and it will stop. You know what I'm saying? And then you'll be thankful that He did it. Then you'll, you'll, you might even wish you were in it again. And last, listen. If you're not a son, if you're not a daughter, repent while you've got a chance. I'm just being serious. If you're hearing me today, if what I'm saying is making sense, Jesus is who he said he is. I promise you that. Jesus is who he said he is. I promise you. He did come to this earth He was born all man, all God, of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on a cross, a death that you could not possibly have endured. He bore sin so that you don't have to before the Father when you die. And he offers that to you today. That, my friends, is the gospel. He rose from the dead to guarantee you have that position as well. Now, you don't have to believe that. You have the freedom not to believe that. And you can walk out of here and not believe that. But what I'm telling you is if you're hearing me today and it's making sense to you today, you have got to accept that. Because the Word says sometime, someday repentance is no longer granted. So please come see me. Come talk to me. Talk to one of us. There's plenty of people in here that love Him. All we want you to do is know who He is. All right, let me pray.